on the Listen First podcast. You'll join us as we connect with an array of fascinating guests from varied backgrounds and perspectives to explore how we can build and become leaders that transform their families, workplaces, and communities. Tune in for insight on mastering skills like active listening, verbal and nonverbal communication, understanding behavioral tendencies, and appreciating individuality. Hello and welcome to the Listen First podcast. I'm your host, Adam Salga. So what do you do when you read an email and completely misinterpret its intent? Don't worry, it's happened to the best of us. Tune in to find out what you can do instead of writing back a potentially unwarranted reply. In today's digital age, Interpreting nonverbal communication can often be difficult. Many people, even in professional settings, often convey some nonverbals through the use of emojis. We're not going to spend the next skill snippet discussing which emoji best fits calling in sick or bringing up your discomfort about the timeline of a project, because despite their usefulness, they cannot entirely replace nonverbal communication. In my upcoming conversation with Leanne Van Beek, She discusses these challenges and provides concrete examples from her work as an HR professional. After a brief recap of the Moravian communication model, she lays out how to set up JPRs that show care and intention by taking into consideration the distribution method and timing. We also get into how to use technology to our advantage when we are trying to communicate so quick in our fast-paced world. Welcome to today's skill snippet. I am exceptionally happy to bring in Leanne Van Beek, who has held a variety of roles with the Chapman Foundation over the years. Today, she's going to be speaking from her facilitator lens. Leanne, welcome to today's skill snippet. It's great to be back, Adam. I'm so happy to have the person who started all of these podcasts with me here today to talk about nonverbals. And we're titling this next level nonverbals in a world of emojis. You know, over the years, we've talked about the four components of nonverbals, gestures and movements, eye contact, and facial expressions, speaking voice and tone, body posture, and body positioning. And we've done podcasts on that. Like I've mentioned, I'll put a link to those in our description today. Another reminder here that 10% of our message is only sent through the words that we use. So it's kind of hard to talk nonverbals in a podcast form, but we're gonna attempt to do that today. We're gonna do our best to describe and you know use your mind's eye. Leanne, I need you to step in though and talk to me about in a world of emojis. Talk to me about that part of our title. Yeah, absolutely. I think we are finding more and more often in the classroom that our conversations around nonverbals often pivot to technology discussions and this idea that we live in a world where we use a lot of text. We try to rely on emojis to add in those emotions that we typically get through nonverbals. And I think what we're finding is that more and more it's resonating with people that even the best crafted email or well-intended text can be misinterpreted when only 10% of our message comes through the words. So that's one thing I think we'll dive into today maybe revisit our Moravian model a little bit. And the other is that we've also been just talking about how can we be more intentional with our nonverbals. And so 
I think we'll talk a little bit too about things that we're finding are really helpful with self-awareness in terms of knowing when to amplify your nonverbals, like how to leverage those better, as well as times where it may be helpful for you to be self-aware and know how to restrain your nonverbals. Awesome. That's a perfect setup. When you were talking about connecting and talking through text message and talking through emails, I think a lot of slang is also used. So it might be things like LOL. I do that a lot. It's like my way of letting someone know that I'm smiling when I'm saying it. You know, it's this opportunity to give them a glimpse into what my nonverbal might be if we were person to person. Tell me about any examples that you have in that space of using phones or email and when might be the right time to actually maybe get on a Zoom call? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're identifying a couple of critical things there. And it's funny, I think about it. I mean, I have a more direct style naturally, and there are very few people who I think I can send a text to without adding emojis. In fact, there was one day where I was responding very quickly to someone. I, I had just a couple seconds, and I think I sent a word, I think I sent a single word response to my son. It wasn't capitalized and it didn't have punctuation, which is how many teenagers text. And he called me and asked me what was wrong because it was <laughs> so different from, you know, when I'm trying to be really intentional with how I'm texting. So something as simple as that, we try to compensate a lot in our text messages. So I think we recognize it's not the most ideal form. Uh, one of the things we've talked about in our class, and just to remind everybody the Moravian model, the idea behind the Moravian model is that especially in situations where the emotion's high mm -hmm. or I'm communicating something that may cause emotions in someone else. So that's different than just I'm sending out a memo. Here's information about you know our agenda for Friday. But when the emotion is potentially higher, only 10% of the message gets through in the words that we communicate on the page. We get another 40% of the message when we can add our tone. So that's like just the simple difference between picking up the phone to call somebody versus sending email. Mm -hmm. But then a final 50% of it comes through all of those components that you mentioned, our facial expressions, our eye contact, our gestures. So if we have a message that's really critical, it's, it's really important for us to start weighing out when and how do I need to sort of up the level of what I'm communicating. And I think one of the other things that's really interesting, and depending on how much we want to get into examples, we also find that in some of the groups that we work with, it can feel like it takes a lot of time up front to set up a Zoom meeting with someone to communicate something like, we're going to be having a change in a program. And so I want to make sure we can talk about it. And it feels like it's going to take so much time. But if I send out the email and it's misinterpreted, and another email comes back to me to clarify, maybe with some tone that I misinterpret, mm -hmm. we're suddenly spiraling into a series of emails, texts, but you know, that we have to almost do cleanup and damage repair with. So I think we're also really trying to switch the lens for people on front loading the effort to actually make things more efficient. That makes a lot of sense. It really does. And I can imagine situations where I've had that happen where I'm like, I think to myself, once we actually talk, I think to myself, had they called me immediately, we would potentially have avoided such and such, and we would have been more efficient in my mind. I think about that. I think about the opportunity to just be more efficient and gather more information when we have opportunity to actually speak to each other. Yeah, and I think sometimes examples can can really make it helpful. And I know that with a group that we were in doing some work with recently, they were talking about how much emphasis their organization has been putting into um, trying to identify when an email may have some emotion behind it and really encouraging their team to use the language, let's get on the phone for this. 
So rather than responding over email to, to just pause it, like cut it right there, recognize that this is a more emotional situation. We don't want things to spiral or go out of control. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because, you know, they shared that there was a dynamic like that happening. Someone emailed. It was definitely emotional. And the person responding started their email off with, it sounds like we need to get on the phone, but then continued to send their somewhat emotional response. And, you know, it was a great example because well-intentioned, but very quickly it spiraled into a much larger issue. It required several meetings to try to clear things back up again. And it was great that they were willing to share that with us because I'm sure there are people listening to the podcast who can identify with how something like that goes off the rails. And in our family situations, same thing. I mean, how often have you gotten a text from someone, your partner, um, maybe one of your adult children, whatever the case may be, and you find yourself offended or concerned or worried or wondering what the text means. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we respond in kind with more text and rarely does it clarify the issue that we're having. Yep. Quick example of that recently with my wife, there was something she wanted to talk to me about. I needed to go take care of something because I felt like it was part of something for myself that I needed to do that evening. So I kind of walked away out of this situation. Well, I got a text like 10 minutes later that's like, I'm crying. Can you come in and talk to me? And I did not realize that I had left a space that she needed, like, I couldn't just text back. Because there was actually a few, I misinterpreted or mistold the story that there were a few texts after I had left and I was trying to explain myself in what I felt was a comfortable tone. I did not know that she was interpreting it in a troubled state. Mm -hmm. So that made a big difference. And so when I got that, though, I went inside, we talked, um, and everything was healthy and it was good. But you know, that emotion that I didn't know she was going through, she kind of took my words and put more on it than I thought I was intending. And so those are the other elements. What are they going through and how are they interpreting? Absolutely. You know, you're making me think of um, what we talk about early on in our DISC module when we talk about how we all have certain needs and values that are really core to who we are and how much we've just been shaped by different environments that we grow up in. So if I grow up repeatedly hearing a certain phrase used with a certain tone, Mm -hmm. then when it's texted to me, I am highly likely to apply that tone to it, even if it's being said by someone else with a different intention. And, And when you don't have that tone, right, that makes it even more challenging. So, you know, we have these two ideals here. I think in in an ideal world, when emotion is high and we need to communicate something, you know, we're really looking for what are our best options. But I also think there's the reality we might want to talk about of tech is efficient. So how can we potentially leverage tech still? Like how do we how do we use what we have in the most efficient way possible? That's a good way to put it. And I think there's probably a couple pieces we could talk about here. I mean, I think one is, you know, I used to be an HR director for a, a large nonprofit and sending out someone's job performance review is always really interesting, right? I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> because there's some stress involved. Oh my gosh, yes. Stress involved, anxiety, you know. And so for a long time, we decided that it was more effective to send the JPR, let them read it, and then kind of get everything out of the way and come in for a meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're sending out something like this, right? That's a message. Yeah. It's with words. Emotion because it's got a lot of direct feedback on performance and how how they how you're perceiving how they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And and so there's a tone that they're probably going to read it through. Mm-hmm. But yet, if you waited to try to do it maybe in person, it seemed like the anxiety was too high. So 
it was one of the situations where I think we did leverage the idea of sending the message, but you would typically, typically you would have an in-person meeting to explain, I'm going to send this to you. Okay. It's a chance for you to read it, get comfortable. And then we would try to set up the meeting to happen right after they read it. So you're not necessarily leaving them in a space of anxiety. Sometimes I think there are situations in our workplaces where it's helpful for someone to have time to read through the context of a situation or a change that's going to be happening, but our, our, um, our follow-up then has to be so key, and I think timing has to be really important because we want to try to get to them as quickly as possible and make sure we have the in-person conversation married very closely to them having the chance to read through the information. There's something here I do want to make mention about the ability to say, hey, let's meet in person, like you mentioned before. But you have to also keep in mind what your body language is going to be and what your emotions are when you get to meet in person. So for example, if you're thinking to yourself, okay, I've got the right words, I know what I want to say, but maybe you're still upset inside or whether that's an angry upset or a sad upset, your body language might completely say something else. So it's the balance of your words and your body language correct? Yeah. Oh, that's a, no, I think that's a great point. If we're not in a place yet where we're calm enough to have the conversation, we're not going to be in alignment. Our words are going to be saying one thing. You're absolutely right. Our body and our you know, tone are going to be doing something completely opposite. Obviously, one of the benefits of technology and the ability to send an email or send a text is efficiency. We were talking about that prior to, you know, recording this podcast when it comes to connecting with people. It's, it's much more efficient nowadays because it's in the palm of our hands. But what about any tips, you know, to stay efficient, but also bring our nonverbals into play? Yeah, I will say I am sure there's many apps like this, but I love Marco Polo. Marco Polo, I describe it as visual voicemail. So I still have the ability to leave a message whenever I want to, the same way that we have with email. But when I'm leaving the message for someone, um, it's fabulous because they can see my face, they can hear my tone. And I've actually had times before where I've sent an email and then sent the person a text to say, don't read my email until you watch my Marco Polo. And it's just because I can tell that the message could be interpreted different ways based on how they read it and what mood they're in. But if I know I can get on Marco Polo, they can see me. It's recorded. They can listen to it when it's convenient for them. You know, so that's been sort of my middle ground. I, I really think that that's a helpful tool. Sounds like a great suggestion. And it really makes me feel like it can save on efficiency because it allows you, who I know is a bit more of a direct communicator, to write your email naturally for you, but also then take the time to connect with them on a nonverbal emotional level through an avenue that, you know, allows them to see all of what you just talked about. So it sounds like you know, that efficiency and that ability to draw connection with people has paid off. Yeah, I think it's I love being able to keep the personal connection and make sure that they can hear my heart, even if it's not coming through in what I can type on a page. At the top of the skill snippet, we promised that we were going to talk about the next level of nonverbals when it comes to when to amplify and maybe when to restrain. We're going to turn that into a second skill snippet. So everyone, if you're looking for that, trust me, it'll be in our next podcast. Thank you, Leanne, for joining me today. Thanks for having me.